So Exodus 20, really we're going to talk about the law, and of course the Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20. Maybe to be more complete, we should put Deuteronomy 5, because of course you find the Ten Commandments there as well. Um, interesting to consider why you know, the commandments here are written with God's finger, and we have some differences between those uh, two accounts. But we won't talk about that today. What I do want to consider, though, is the very clear message that comes out so many times here in the New Testament that the law God wants us to keep. It's pretty straightforward. Here, Paul would summarize this. The only obligation you have is to love one another. Whoever does this has obeyed the law. If you love others, you will never do them wrong. To love then is to obey the whole law. So the question is, as we think about uh, Mount Sinai, and not just the Ten Commandments, but when you just read on all of the rules and laws that time, uh, why didn't God just say, hey, love me, love others, that's it. Okay, why do we have to have it spelled out in such detail? Here in Galatians 5, the whole law, the whole law, is summed up in one commandment. Okay, why do we need ten? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay, and so, of course, we get this from uh, Jesus, who was asked, what's the most important? What's the greatest commandment? And his answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important commandment. The second most import important commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Where do you think Jesus got this? You think about it and um, just come to this conclusion. You, you don't get this from the Old Testament, do you? Well, actually you do. You go back here to the Old Testament and Jesus' words here are a combination from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Deuteronomy 6.5, the uh, Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Okay, and then Leviticus 19. Don't mistreat foreigners who are living in your land. Treat them as you would an Israelite. And here it is, and love them, love your neighbor, as you love yourselves. So this really is straight out of the Old Testament. It's just when this is in the midst of hundreds and hundreds of specific rules, it can, it can kind of get drowned out a little bit. But as Jesus read his Old Testament, he pulled out, um, this is really, these are the two most important. All right, so we come to the Ten Commandments. And I want to go through these. First of all, we'll just read the, the basics. I'm leaving out uh, some of the words here. But I want to go over the Ten Commandments and then consider the meaning for us today. So, first commandment, worship no God but me. Second, do not make for yourselves images. Do not bow down to any idol or worship it. Now, the dot, 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 I'm not uh, being misleading here. Next time, we're going to talk about the warning that if you do worship idols, you'll be punished to the fourth and fifth generation. Okay, we need to talk about that but that'll be our subject for next time. Third, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Work six days, rest on the seventh. Number five, respect your father and your mother. Do not commit adultery, murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not accuse anyone falsely. And the, the most difficult commandment to obey is the tenth. Do not desire. Uh, when we read into Romans, Paul said when he read that one, it was just too much. Don't even want to do something wrong. Don't, do not desire 
another man's house, another man's wife, and so on. Okay, so here are the Ten Commandments, and uh, I think, as always, if we try to just read something like this and take it out of the context of when things like this were given, it's much more difficult to understand. So what was the context of Mount Sinai? Remember what we talked about last time? The rebellion of the people, the distrust of the people as they're led out through the desert. And um, it was a very unruly group that came out there to Mount Sinai. We sometimes think about the Ten Commandments as this, uh, you know, a, a perfect people coming out now to get this great uh, law uh, from God. Well, really, um, if we think about the people, uh, we might have a different perspective on this. And, um, well, this is in the Bible, so I guess this shouldn't offend you, but here are some of the other rules that God had to give them during this time. Whoever hits his father or his mother is to be put to death. Does that mean some people were hitting their parents? Whoever curses his father or his mother is to be put to death. Put to death any woman who practices magic. Put to death anyone who has sexual relations with an animal. Now, just the fact that God would have to tell his people this, I mean, you just come out of this, out of the blue, wouldn't this suggest this really was going on? If you have to tell people not to do something. Condemn to death anyone who offers sacrifices to any God except me. And of course, dozens and dozens of examples of this. Do not have sexual intercourse with any of your relatives. Hey, wouldn't that not suggest it was going on if God has to tell them not to do it? Don't disgrace your father by having intercourse with your mother. You must not disgrace your own mother. No man or woman is to have sexual relations with an animal. That perversion makes you ritually unclean. Uh, we, so we have all of these rules given right there at Mount Sinai. Okay, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. Levit Leviticus 15 is a whole chapter about unclean bodily discharges. And we wonder... What kind of a people would need to have it so spelled out like this? So maybe if we try to make this a contemporary setting for understanding the Ten Commandments. Imagine here you're with your family around the breakfast table. Okay, and you're gonna, you need to give them the equivalent of the Ten Commandments. Just realizing this isn't the healthiest breakfast here. But anyway, so uh, you're sitting down as father or mother, and you're telling your children on their way to school the Ten Commandments, which might be something like, hey, I'm your dad. Don't have any other father except for me. Okay, would it be sad if you had to tell your child not to choose any other father but you? Okay, why should you need to give a rule like that? Um, if you had to go on and say, hey, this weekend we are going to spend a day together. We're going to beach, Disneyland. Okay, we're going to spend some time together. And imagine your children rolling their eyes. Oh, good grief. Such a, a legal system that we're under here in this house. Uh, unbelievable. Imagine as your child is on the way out the door, you have to tell them, hey, respect your father and mother. Respect your parents. Or if you had to tell your son, today at school, please don't kill anyone. Okay, isn't it kind of sad to have to actually spell it out? Don't murder. Or if you had to tell your wife, please, do not commit adultery today. Would that not reflect a broken situation in your relationship? You had to tell your daughter, please don't steal at school today. Don't accuse anyone falsely. And uh, maybe your wife has to say back to you, hey, don't desire our neighbor's house. Especially don't desire our neighbor's wife. 
Okay, these kinds of things, um, it, it is sad really that God had to spell all of this out. It, it reflects a rebellious situation at Mount Sinai. Okay, we sometimes don't think of the law that way, but First Timothy here, Paul would describe the law this way. We know that the law is good if it is used as it should be used. It must be remembered, of course, that laws are made not for good people, but for lawbreakers and criminals, for the godless and sinful, for those who are not religious or spiritual, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the immoral, for sexual perverts, for kidnappers, for those who lie and give false testimony or who do anything else contrary to sound doctrine. Okay, and that's true, isn't it? You need lots of rules for a rebellious people. We'll spend a lot of time on this in Galatians. It's perhaps the best place really to understand why God gave the law. But um, Paul would just ask the question, well, what's the purpose of the law? And then he would say very clearly, it was added. It was added because we needed it. Okay, in order to show what wrongdoing is. Okay, because sometimes if you don't have a rule for something, well, you weren't even aware that was wrong. Now there's a rule for it. Now all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm, I'm crossing the line there. I shouldn't be doing that. And then he would go on to say the law was added because we needed it when we were such rebels. Until the time when we were mature enough to respond freely in faith to the living God, we were carefully surrounded and protected by the Mosaic law. And when all of you have children, you will appreciate this much more that the rules in the house multiply when you have kids running around doing all kinds of things. Okay, it's necessary for a period of time. It's a protective measure. Okay, so if we just imagine a classroom setting here, this looks like a pretty attentive um, classroom, okay, paying attention to the teacher. And if that's the case, like it is uh, usually here in medical school, well, there aren't a lot of rules in the classroom. People just come, they listen, Okay, but imagine if in the back of the classroom some people are using heroin. Uh, imagine if um, there are all kinds of uh, horrible things, fights going on, uh, people occasionally getting killed outside the lecture amphitheater because there's some dispute over this or that. Uh, can you imagine under that setting, now all of a sudden, okay, we're going to have a whole bunch of rules for classroom behavior, and they're going to be very strict. Five minutes late, uh, there's a severe penalty. Talking. Well, there's going to be a harsh penalty for this. I mean, in a very, very rebellious situation, rules multiply um, because they're necessary. Uh, in my uh, college, uh, when I was in college, the band instructor was fantastic. But what I noticed throughout the four years is that the first month of band was never that much fun. He was very strict, lots of rules, and usually about 10, 15% of people would drop out because oh, he's, just, he's unreasonable, he's, he's very strict, you have to be there right on time. And then I noticed after that first month, it was always a lot of fun after that. So it was really, it was a tactical thing. He's bringing people under control, are you serious about this? Here are the rules. And then after that, uh, he was just a, a great person to, to work with. So anyway, rules are sometimes necessary. I want to talk about a few of the commandments in detail, maybe just two of them, the third and fourth commandment. Third commandment, which says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does that mean? Uh, the more traditional versions do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Usually we think of that, well, don't swear. Okay, is that the only meaning there is here to the third commandment? Um, whenever we hear about the name, the name of the Lord, that has a very great significance uh, in the Bible. 
Uh, I think this is a good quote here. On our, in our modern Western culture, a name is nothing more than an identifier, really no different than being assigned a number. Okay, that's not what the Bible means when it talks about name. In the ancient Hebrew culture, the name is the character. It's the internal qualities of an individual that make him or her unique. Okay, so when we talk about the name of God, that means more than just, uh, well, what's his name? How do we pronounce it? Okay, and we have a good story right in this context. We're going to talk about this story next time in, in more detail because I think it's really important. But Moses, here just a few chapters later, asks something incredible of God. He requested, please, let me see the dazzling light of your presence. And the Lord answered, I will make all my splendor pass before you, and in your presence I will pronounce my sacred name. And I still remember as a child reading this and not knowing what was going to happen. And I remember thinking, hey, we're going to get a description of what God looks like. He's going to pass before Moses. We'll get some details of his uh, physical description. Hey, but notice here what happened. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and pronounced his holy name. What does that mean? He pronounced his holy name, the Lord. The Lord then passed in front of him and called out, I, the Lord, am a God who is full of compassion and pity, who is not easily angered and who shows great love and faithfulness. I keep my promise for thousands of generations and forgive evil and sin. Notice that when God pronounces his holy name, what do we have? We have a description of his character. Okay, so name really is synonymous with character in the Bible. And again, next time we're going to talk about the dot, 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 which is I will not fail to punish to the fourth and fifth generation. So we need to, we need to understand that. But name is character. So when we come back to the third commandment, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God, or in a more familiar translation, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, this word for vain is translated in many other examples in the Bible as falsely. And so we really could read this commandment as you shall not, shall not, mis, you shall not represent the character of God falsely. It really has to do with how are we representing God? Are we representing his true character? much more than just uh, talking about swearing. It's a very significant commandment. What does it mean to represent the character of God? Well, notice before sin, the description of Adam and Eve. God created human beings. He created them godlike. In what way? Reflecting God's nature, his character. He created them male and female. Uh, we were created in the image of God in the sense that we did reflect his character okay, before sin infected uh, the human race. But that is still our call today. It is to reflect the character by our lives, by our actions, by our words. Uh, we're to reflect the character of who God is. That's what the third commandment calls us to. So when Jesus and the Lord's Prayer, and again, sometimes we lose this because it's so familiar, we've memorized it. But when his disciples asked him, how should we pray? This is what he told them. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored, or hallowed be thy name. Okay, what does that mean? What, what we're to pray for is that God's name, his character, will be magnified, will be glorified um, throughout the earth. Okay, that's a very significant meaning. It ties right back to the third commandment. So this verse, it's so compact, but this is just the essence almost of everything important here to me. Psalms 9, verse 10. Those who know your name will trust you. Because really, when people come to see how good God is, when they really come to understand his character, 
It's almost inevitable. You, you have to be one back to trust. So that's why God's name, his reputation, is so important. So a few words there on the third commandment. Now let's talk about the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. In Exodus 20, it's described this way. Remember to observe the Sabbath day. The remember would kind of bring things back to creation, even before sin. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, keep the animals from working, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So the Sabbath here in this time to these people, it was to bring them back to creation. It was to remind them of God as creator. What's interesting, though, is we read the account in Deuteronomy, which starts out the same, okay, but the Deuteronomy account has a different reason for keeping the Sabbath. Why? Well, remember, now not just the creation, but remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that I, the Lord your God, rescued you by my great power and strength. That is why I command you to observe the Sabbath. I think it, it kind of makes sense because if you are an Israelite in this time, what are the two greatest events in human history? I'd say one is, well, the creation. Okay, creation of Adam and Eve, uh, the human race. The other would be that we were rescued out of slavery. And so the Sabbath really uh, in that time was to be a reminder, okay, not just a meaningless thing, but it was to be a time of a special remembrance of these great events. And what would these great events remind you about? It would cause you to think about God, our creator, the one who rescued us out of slavery. Also, just so countercultural in this time. Um, I mean, the gods were taskmasters task in this time. Okay, all the false gods. And here we have the gods saying, hey, take a day of rest. Uh, spend a day with me. That's, that's so different from any of the false gods of that time. And I think um, the Sabbath is meant to have meaning. It is not meant merely as a day of rest. I mean, as a medical student, can't you appreciate needing a day of rest? I think a day of physical rest is very important, but the meaning is also extremely important. Jesus died. When did he die? Friday night. Spent the Sabbath in the tomb. He rested in the tomb. Okay, we have God creating the earth and resting. I like how some have interpreted this as more like an attorney who says, I rest my case. Okay, God wasn't exhausted when he created everything. Okay, this wasn't a physical, uh, wasn't tired. And then we have Jesus dying, resting in the tomb over Sabbath, and it's almost like, again, hey, I rest my case. Any questions about my character after watching all of this? So uh, for me, it is uh, the, the, the Sabbath is, not, is meant to remind us of very significant things. Creation, God who brings people out of slavery, and a God who comes in human form and allows his own creatures to crucify him. Has meaning. And what about a God who wants relationship? Again, was that something that, uh, I mean, the gods in this time were appeased by child sacrifice. Okay, here we have something exactly the opposite. Here's a God who wants special time, relationship, 
the marriage metaphors used so often. Okay, the book of Revelation ends with a marriage, bride, groom, and we get hints of that here in the Sabbath commandment, which is time, special time with God. Now, what I find kind of interesting here is in Isaiah 58, how about this for a difficult command? If we want to be legalists, let's make the Sabbath really difficult. Isaiah 58, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. Okay, you may have done very well with your behavior, but did you enjoy it? Didn't enjoy it, you didn't keep it. Enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day. Don't follow your own desires or talk idly. And then the Lord will be your delight. Uh, would it be sad if on your anniversary with your wife, you had to tell her, now make sure you enjoy this day that we're going to spend together. Uh, it would be kind of sad to have to command something like this. But I wouldn't see this in this sense. Uh, I didn't like uh, Brussels sprouts as a child. I really like them now. But can you imagine telling your child, hey, you not only have to eat them, but you better enjoy it. I command you to enjoy it. Um, you really can't command something like that, can you? Okay, but God here is reflecting the ideal. Hey, this should be a great time uh, that you and I spend together. Now, we have odd rules here, unusual. How do you understand this? This is repeated at least three or four, maybe five times. Do not cook a young sheep or goat in its mother's milk. Have you all been tempted to do that on occasion? Um, do we read the Bible to make a list? Okay, I'll check that one off. I haven't done that. I feel pretty good about myself. Uh, what does that mean? Well, this is where getting these ancient documents that tell us a little bit about the culture in this time is helpful. This was done in pagan religions. They did cook a young sheep or goat in its mother's milk. So God had to tell them, hey, don't be like that. Don't do that. Okay, and we're not tempted to do that. How about this one? In Exodus 28, weave the tunic of fine linen, talking about the priest's clothes. Make the turban of fine linen. The sash will be the work of an embroiderer. Make tunics, sashes, and hats for Aaron's son to express glory and beauty. Dress your brother Aaron and his sons in them. Anoint, ordain, and consecrate them to serve me as priests. Make linen underwear to cover their nakedness from waist to thigh. We need to have spelled out descriptions here of even the underwear of the priests. Uh, why, why is that necessary? And then uh, don't use steps to climb to my altar because that will expose your nakedness. Have you ever had a hard time reading through the Bible and you just kind of get bored reading some of these things about underwear and so on? Well, there actually can be a, a, an important meaning, again, only if we're looking at, at it in the context. Okay, so if we have a priest like this, do we see a difference between perhaps the pagan deities. And what happened if you worshipped uh, in, in some of these pagan rituals? Well, you would meet with a temple prostitute, a child sacrifice. The, the worship experience involved perhaps an intimate relationship with a temple prostitute. Is God making a very clear distinction here that my priests even have uh, special underwear, cover their nakedness? It's night and day different from the pagan religions. Okay, so I think as, as we see this, God is just trying to say, hey, be entirely different from what you see going on around you. I like this verse in Ezekiel, maybe in understanding some of these odd rules. 
God would describe it this way. I did this because they had rejected my commands, broken my laws, profaned the Sabbath, and worshiped the same idols their ancestors had served. And then I gave them laws that are not good and commands that do not bring life. God giving commands that are not good, that do not bring life. Um, again, as a parent, I can understand this. When you tell your child, don't run with a pencil, don't play in the cat litter box, and you go through all kinds of things, are those good rules? Do they bring life? Uh, no, but they're necessary for a time. Okay, you give those kinds of rules because they're needed. Uh, would be sad if we had to put in the neuroscience syllabus, though. Please don't run with pencils and, and do all those kinds of... You'd think that's ridiculous. Okay, but there may be a time in spiritual immaturity when these rules are needed. Now we have to say some good things, though. And again, read this in, in, in the setting of the culture, and this is so different from any of the other false gods who would never command something like this. How about this? If you happen to see your enemy's cow, your enemy's cow or donkey running loose, take it back to him. How about that? Love your enemies. If his donkey has fallen under its load, help him get the donkey to its feet again. Don't just walk off. Okay, that's Old Testament. Exodus 22. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor, do not act like a money lender and require them to pay interest. Okay, this would be very different than any other culture. Exodus 23. Don't pass on malicious, malicious gossip. Don't link up with a wicked person and give corrupt testimony. Don't go along with the crowd and doing evil. And don't fudge your testimony. Okay, you can tell this is the Message Bible, but read it in any version. This is the meaning. Don't fudge your testimony in a case just to please the crowd. And just because someone is poor, don't show favoritism in a dispute. I mean, these are the kinds of things that Jesus emphasized uh, as he taught. Do not mistreat a foreigner. You know how it feels to be a foreigner because you were foreigners in Egypt. Okay, so there are, there are wonderful things that I think are just the kind of the origins of some of Jesus' wonderful teachings about loving your enemy, praying for your enemy, and so on. So if we think about obedience, keeping the rules, I think we can think of it in, in three levels. Here's the first, and God meets people at this level. But the first would be we obey for hope of reward, or for fear of punishment. Okay, do we do the things that we do because we hope to get to heaven and to avoid hell? Okay, is that our basic motivation? How would you feel about your child who um, maybe is all grown up, gone to college, and you get a phone call from your child? Hey, Dad, uh, didn't hit anyone today. I ate my broccoli and uh, studied for however long, 30 minutes. Maybe what they did is in third grade. Are you happy? Can I have $20? You're not going to punish me, are you? Would you be happy if your child grew up and was still under that kind of a mindset? Okay, Obedience for hope of reward or fear of punishment is a very uh, immature reason for doing what we do. Well, how about this? We obey because we love God. And um, certainly th that has to be there. But that is not the best reason to obey. Again, imagine your child gone off to college. And um, well, I shouldn't say that to a group of people in their young 20s. But for me, this is helpful. My child grows up and goes off to college and says, um, Hey, Dad, I ate my broccoli. I didn't hit anyone of my college classmates today uh, because I love you. By the way, it doesn't, never really made any sense 
for me to act in that way, but I love you, and so I'm not hitting my classmates. I love you, so I'm eating my broccoli. Uh, would you be happy as a parent with your child? That's their motivation for doing things. And I think ultimately, yes, we have to love God. We can't obey unless we're in a loving relationship with God. But I think this would be the highest motivation for obedience. We obey because we agree with God and see that everything he has asked us to do makes sense. Okay, your child does not need rules for doing certain things as they grow up. Um, they don't uh, do it to get something or to avoid being punished. And although they love you, their reason for doing things is just because, well, they've been brought up that they see that makes sense. Okay, it's just a part of them. That is to have the law written on the heart. Okay, so that's the highest motivation for obedience. So we could look at it this way. God gave many commands for a specific time. Many, many, many commands because they were needed. Okay, those are condensed down into the Ten Commandments, the first four, which really are about loving God and representing God as he is. The last six are about essentially loving your neighbor by not doing horrible things to them. But ultimately, this points to love for God with all your heart, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and then ultimately to love. So it really is all about love, okay? but you have to meet people um, who are rebels at a certain place. So when Jesus would say, now I give you a new commandment, okay, it's, it's almost a little humorous that he has to say this. This is not a new commandment. It's just that no one's ever done it. But now I give you a new commandment. Love one another. And notice, how do we know what love is? What is love? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's a command. That's the one command as a Christian. We must do that. If you have love for one another, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. Okay, but yet, have you heard of someone being kicked out of church because they just weren't a loving person? Okay, often disfellowship people for all kinds of reasons, but uh, that, this would seem to be the one criteria. We must love others. Well, we often talk about uh, how we are free as Christians. We're free of the law. There are many verses on that. This one in Galatians 5 after talking about the law, then Paul would say, freedom is what we have. Christ has set us free. Stand then as free people. Do not allow yourselves to become slaves again. Those of you who try to be put right with God by obeying the law have cut yourself off from Christ. You are outside God's grace. Okay, what does it mean to be free of the law? We are free of the law. Okay, but in what sense? Um, here's maybe an example. Uh, again, your children brushing their teeth. Now imagine your child grows up, goes off to college, and says, I'm no longer under that heavy, burdensome, legal system. I had to brush my teeth twice a day. I'm free. I no longer brush my teeth. Is that how we're free? Well, let's go through the Ten Commandments. We're free. And we no longer worship God. We worship whatever we want. Christ has set us free. That wouldn't make any sense. We're free. We can, now, no, we can uh, worship idols now. Money, football teams, whatever it might be that takes the place of God. We're free. We no longer have to spend special time with God. We're free of all those rules. We're free. We don't respect our parents. Christ has set us free to murder, commit adultery, steal, well, if we're free of the law, but yet as we look at this list, we would all agree 
well, no, I can't be a Christian and, and do all of those things. And in what sense are we free of the law? Well, let's think about it this way. Jesus said, don't suppose that I came to do away with the law and the prophets. I did not come to do away with them, but to give them their full meaning. In other words, I came to explain them. Didn't come to do away with them. And then he would go on with um, some of the most challenging um, theology. He would say, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. But I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. So how are we free of the law? It would seem like Jesus makes it even more difficult. Okay, if we're trying to be a legalist here, I can't even, I mean, murder is one thing, but I have to even not be angry with my brother. What about this? You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But now I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman and wants to possess her is guilty of committing adultery with her in his heart. Jesus, from a certain perspective, is much more difficult here than the laws of Moses. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, and that rule was needed for a time. But now I tell you, do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, let him slap your left cheek too. How do you put that into practice? And if someone takes you to court to sue you for your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if one of the occupation troops, and the occupation troops, this was their national enemy, forces you to carry his pack one mile, carry it two miles, can you see why Jesus was hated in his day? When someone asks you for something, give it to him. When someone wants to borrow something, lend it to him. You have heard that it was said, love your friends, hate your enemies. But now, I tell you, all of these but now, um, Jesus, who was the God of the Old Testament, is saying there was a time for all of those things. Okay, but now, those of you who call yourselves Christians, uh, we're going to think about this in a different way. We're going to do things differently. But now, I tell you something different. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may become the children of your Father in heaven. What's the criteria for becoming a child of God? Love your enemies. Pray for them. Now, are those difficult rules? Those would seem to be very difficult. How do you keep rules like that? Well, I think the key thing is Jesus came to restore our trust in God. And in that process, something happens to us, a change. Described here in Ezekiel, many places. The promise, I will give them a new heart, a new mind. I will take away their stubborn heart of stone and will give them an obedient heart. Then they will keep my laws and faithfully obey all my commands. They will be my people and I will be their God. Um, all law, as we just pointed out in the first couple of verses here of the Bible study, is to love. It really is to love. The thing is, which of the commands do you break when you love God with all your heart? Which of the commandments do you break when you love your neighbor as you love yourself? You really don't break those rules. Okay, but that requires a heart transformation, healing, and a change that occurs within. So maybe one last analogy here. I think I talked about this when we uh, spoke about the conscience. But think about uh, maybe a beach where we look out at the ocean and it's full of sharks. Uh, but maybe in our um, deluded state, so far away from God, we've come to not recognize that this is a dangerous beach and that doing these things is harmful. Okay, so what does God do? Comes along with the law. 
puts a fence around this beach. Lots of signs. Don't go here, dangerous, don't do this. Um, maybe if necessary, I will punish to the fourth and fifth generation if you swim in this beach. Lots and lots and lots of rules. Why? To open our eyes, to give us awareness. This is dangerous, living this way. It's harmful, it's destructive. Now, what happens when our eyes are open? We really understand. When we have experienced this uh, transformation in our lives, well, now we look at this beach. And isn't this true? I mean, it's, you look at this beach, you see the sharks, all of us would say, the last thing in the world I want to do is swim in that beach. No way. Okay, I'm going to another beach. Okay, and when that happens, what happens? God takes the fence down, right? Takes the signs down. Okay, we're free. Okay, we're free when we agree with God. When we see, there's no way I want to live that way. Okay, that's freedom. But it's only freedom when we're doing what we want to do, because what we want to do is perfectly in harmony with God, who we're in, in trusting relationship with. So yes, we are free, but the freedom ultimately comes from being joined and, and becoming at one with God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much that there was a time when um, it seems you could have let your people go, but instead you met them with lots and lots of rules. Pray that we would come to understand these in the right way, that as we come to see who you are, and as we come to admire a God who forgives even his enemies, that uh, we may be slowly changed into your image, and that we uh, may be set free. Amen. <clears throat>